Hello, everyone. Hello. Um, welcome to our Sunday worship service. Um, all the people who are streaming in, welcome as well. And I, 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 I think Roy might be streaming in as well. So that's nice to think about that, Roy. Hey, Roy. You know, I'm glad that you're there. I hope you enjoyed Chicago-style pizza because those of you who might not know Roy, he's taste buds are that of a five-year-old, so he only eats, like, McDonald's. <laughs> His favorite food is McDonald's. And I, I hope you are... Un- anyway, <laughs> Chicago-style pizza is good, Roy. Okay. All right. I um, wanted to share from Matthew chapter 18. I think this uh, message comes in the midst of a lot of um, self-understanding and knowledge, and we're, we're doing a lot of reading and trying to understand our current culture and how that has becoming, that's becoming a part of our lives. Actually, it's like the, we're sort of product of our times as well. So um, th- th- this issue of forgiveness and grudges and, and this incessant desire to like be heard or things like that. that it's, it's that kind of a culture that we live in. So I just wanted to kind of talk about Matthew chapter 18 uh, from the unmerciful servant, that parable, from, the, in, from that angle. But I wanted to share, start off with a story um, of my sophomore year in college. Um, I actually had a programming job, uh, which turned out to be my full-time job after I graduated. It was a startup during the dot-com boom. Um, you know, and it was sophomore, like spring semester. And um, my boss said, oh, you know, this Wednesday, could you actually, there's a little project going on. Could you actually come in on Wednesday night to, um, you know, I was there on Saturday or something like that. And then it was in San Jose, that, that, that company, on Wednesday night to do a little bit of extra work. And I said, okay, on Wednesday night I can come in, but I actually don't have a car. So my boss said, hey, you can borrow my car. Just borrow my car. Just come in on Wednesday, and then you know, and then I'll give you a ride, ride back to the BART station. And I said, "Oh wow, thank you. Like, are you sure? Like, yeah. Like, nah, nah. And then as a sophomore, I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah. And then my, as I was leaving that the office, my boss said, "Hey, Daniel, don't crash it." <laughs> you know, and I'm like, I'm <laughs> <laughs> crash. All right, Doug. You know, I was coming down, Shattuck. Oh, I lived on Dwight. Uh, and then, and I missed Dwight, the right turn, so I was, like, I was on the next one. So I was like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I just have to make a U-turn. So it, was, it turned red, I mean, it turned, ye- not red, yellow. Okay, it turned yellow. So I was like, mm, and I kind of sped up to make the yellow, you know? And then, and then um, I turned. But it was actually one of those, it was an Oldsmobile. It was a big, wide car. And then I went, and then, and then my wheel stopped. So I couldn't make it any sharper. And then the thing was just going, just making a wide turn. And I was like, I can make it, I can make it. I was telling myself, there's a, there's a you know, street lamp there. Big, thick pole. And I was like, I can make it, I can make it. I just need one wheel up on the curb, you know, I make it. And then I didn't make it. It was a bonk. I mean, from the perspective of the other oncoming cars, it must have been kind of funny, like, bonk. And then went, so I got home to my place. 
And I couldn't, I was like not wanting to look at the bumper. I was like, oh my gosh. And I came out and there's a perfectly shaped, like pole shaped dent in my bumper. Not my bumper, <laughs> my boss's bumper. So then I had to tell him like, oh my God, you know how Doug, Doug remember uh, you said, don't crash it as I was leaving? I did. And I am so sorry. I was like, so sorry. I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like, I'm a poor college student, sophomore. I'm on, I'm on financial aid and all those things. I can't, it's just like, but I didn't say any of those things. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'll pay for it. I'll pay for it somehow. I'll just, I'll pay for it. And my boss, Doug, says, you know what? Don't worry about it. I'm like, are you sure? No, no, no. I got to pay for it. Goes, don't. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I'll just absorb it. And I was so thankful. I was like, you know, and then I, maybe it, now that I look back, I should have pushed it a little bit more to just, like, come on, you know, I'll, I'll somehow make it up to you or something like that. But I just, you know, I was like, wow, thank you. And, I, and maybe, I don't know what the right answer to that is, actually. Like, just should I have pushed it? Should I still pay for it? Um, I could have, I guess, like just over the next six months. But man, you know, that was so thankful. So that was actually an instance of where I was forgiven a, a debt that I was owed. You know, kind of a funny way. But then here's a parable that Jesus told. It says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when the, when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Same words. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. So kind of a disturbing ending. So we'll kind of get to that. But so like first, some background. 10,000 talents. You know, where is it? Uh, 10,000 talents. This is actually an astronomical number. During that time, like what, what, tal one talent is 75 pounds of coins or silver or things like that. So 10... Just think about that, okay? Um, during that time, the, the entire annual tax that the Romans collected from the Palestinian area was 800 talents per year, okay? So 10,000 talents, this isn't hyperbole. Like, there's no, there's no way an individual can actually owe, owe that much, right? It's, we're talking about, it turns out to be like $10 billion, right? So there's really no way that 
this is actually a realistic picture, but he's using Jesus is using hyperbole to make a point. Because the drama of this story actually center, centers around this man after he is forgiven of this gigantic debt. Because later, as we know, that the servant meets his fellow servant for owning, owing him 100 denarii, which is actually th- about three months' worth of wages. You know, by the way, 10,000 10, talents is 200,000 years' worth of wages. Um, <laughs> so three months' worth of wages. So it's not small change, okay? It's something pretty significant. I don't know, a laborer's wage, maybe three months, it's like $10,000, $12,000 maybe. And he begins to choke him. His reaction seems a little bit overboard. He begins to choke him and he says, pay back what you owe, right? Pay back what you owe. Now, this is sort of like, let's say you had a friend who won several million, millions of dollars on the lottery because, you know, you guys play the lottery together. And then on the way, you go to that lottery place, I don't know where you pick it up, but you pick up the check with him. He's so happy. He's like, yeah. And then on the way out, he finds a parking ticket. And the, and the parking meter maid or the, the parking enforcer just, is just, just pulling away. And he's like, two minutes late. You know, that's so, like, I was actually in the parking lot, in the vicinity. I was just talking to my friend when, you know, two minutes, like, that guy just gave me a ticket, and it was $30. No, no, it's Bay Area. It's $80. <laughs> and he screams. He screams in frustration at the parking enforcement officer, which, by the way, has the worst job in the world, right? <laughs> Everybody hates. Nobody says thank you, right? <laughs> Everybody hates the parking enforcement officer, and you, you, you wear the uniform, but you, you're, you're not even driving around in a, in a cool, like, cop car. You have, you have this, like, you know, I don't know what, it's an electric, like a, like a glorified bicycle, like, tricycle, actually, you know, so it's like, yeah, and then that person is like your friend who just won the lottery is just screaming in frustration at the person. And if you were there, what would you do, you know? You would grab a hold of him and slap, you know? <laughs> snap out of it, snap out of it, you know? That would be good for him, right? So snap out of it, man, like get some perspective, you would say. And when you say perspective, you're not talking about like some difference in optimism versus pessimism. You're not saying, hey, you know, you're, I'm a glass half full kind of guy, and you're a glass half empty kind of guy, and I think you should have the optimistic perspective. No, you're saying, actually, there's a truer perspective. That's ridiculous. What you're, what you're doing is ridiculous, right? There's a truer perspective, because what you're looking at is this, right? You're looking at ticket on the car, and when you say get some perspective, what you mean is zoom out, man. Zoom out, what just happened? What else just happened? Wow, right? <laughs> a lot, you just won the lottery, like, you're set, whatever, right? Like, but what he's seeing is this, zoom, right? And the thing is, though, the thing is, it's actually true. What he's seeing is not made up. It's true. He really got the parking ticket, and it was only two minutes late. That's frustrating. And in this parable, same thing. It's true that the other servant owes him 100 denarii. That guy should pay. That's fair. And if he doesn't, that's not fair. It's messed up. 
You know, that is why, actually, this, this, the fact that what you're looking at is actually true, it's a small, it's, it's a true, fr- within that framework, it actually is frustrating, it's, it's true. That's why when we are holding on to a grudge of some sort or a relational tension, when we're embittered at someone, it's so hard to have perspective because what you're seeing within that frame is actually really, really true. You know, that roommate, that, that friend, that so-called friend, that spouse, really said that thing that was hurtful, that, that stabbed at your heart. And so you can say it's true that that person owes you something. But the problem is here is that it's not true enough. You know, what else is true? It's, it's an issue of framing, right? The, that picture of the lottery winner, you know, that parking ticket is frustrating. So that's why, but then but if, that's, if the parking ticket is so frustrating, then, so then why would his response of screaming at the parking attendant, like enforcer, be off? Why would it be off? I mean, he's just frustrated. Well, because you know that he's not considering a bigger reality. <laughs> he needed to take in more of the truth, more of the facts. His framing is too narrow, and he responds to what he sees in that frame with intensity and something that I think borders on hatred. Okay, so how does this re- relate to our modern culture? I think I mean, this might seem like a little detour, but I think our current mood or atmosphere in our culture is really caught up in this kind of thinking. It's really caught up in this narrow framing. You know, the whole mob justice and the cancel culture, right? What is that about? Well, you take an instance, you take even a moment, and it can be the narrowest, narrowest frame possible, you know? Like in this life, you have that one yellow or orange dot, something that a person said 20 years ago or something, and you, what do you do? You pick that out, first, that's the first step. You pick that out and you, you peer into it, you look at that, and you say, what is it? It's evil. And that, you know what the thing is, again? That thing, it's true, it's evil. It was wrong. It's sinful. You know, I mean, I guess it ranges from something light, light something kind of light, like cultural, cultural insensitivity, to being just plainly immoral and wrong. And it, there's a range of it, of course. I'm not saying that it, was, it wasn't wrong. But the dangerous thing that we're sort of caught up in right now is the, is the narrow framing, right? Because with that narrow frame, we end up coloring the entire person. And what we see in our cancel culture is this, you know? Oh, this person's like, we're angry, and it's righteous anger, you know? And we got to choke. <laughs> Because what do you do with the devil? You gotta choke it, man. It's, <laughs> gotta kill that thing. Right? So, yeah. Maybe we should do a first person perspective. <laughs> you know? This action of choking the person can't, like, it, I think for the wrong that the, that person did is, I think, is what's writ large in our society right now. So, why am I talking about this? Um, I'm not taking some random pot shots at our cancel culture, because I think the, the, the expression cancel culture is, also, is mostly negative already. 
And uh, so it's kind of easy to criticize it. You know, I can just criticize it. But I think what's dangerous is that this culture, because we're sort of saturated in it, and because of the fear of like not being part of that culture, I guess, I think this culture plays itself out in our interpersonal relationships. I think that we've kind of been trained and learned to speak or to think in such a way to do the same thing with each other. And I've seen that happen more and more. Um, and that's highly problematic. I mean, sort of like this, right? In, 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 your, in your interpersonal relationship, let's say, it, that, let's say that big thing is, is just one person, okay? So this is one person. Um, there are some, some good things that that person did in your relationship, that, you know, pleasant things, caring things, loving things. And then there are some, some of them that are orange, that are not good. Um, you know, there are some hurtful things. There were times that when my friends, times when my leaders, when the people that I'm leading, the people in my life, there were times that they were patient with me. They were really caring toward me. They were the green ones. And then, the, then there are times that are, they were impatient, maybe said some things that were maddening and things like that, right? So what do you do with that? Well, you pick that out. And you kind of think about it and you zoom in, you, you, you mull over it. <laughs> you mull over it and you go, okay, gosh, like there's a pattern here. And then what do you know? It's the devil. Same one. <laughs> right? So you hear disturbing things, uh, like people canceling their parents, canceling their friends in a way, <laughs> canceling roommates, schools, churches, you choke them, and put them away. You know, people who are married here in this room, we know that our minds are very capable of picking out those patterns and convincing ourselves that, the, that our spouse is that, right? <laughs> is the devil himself or herself. Is out to get you, is out to just hurt you and just really just like, yeah, we know our, our ability to do that and, and we can actually convince ourselves and it's not a lie, it's like, it's like those are true. Those three points, four points, five points, 10 points are actually true. So then that's, it's, it has the power and the coercive power of truth. It's just not true enough, right? Um, so do people snap out of that and get the bigger picture eventually in, in, in such an important relationship as marriage, well, 50% seem not to. Never snaps out of it, right? So this selective memory, you know, it's not necessarily done with malicious intent, of course, right? It's just because it's not like we, we want to just pick out the bad ones and then just kind of think about it. It's not necessarily, it's the negative events simply stick to our minds more, you know? A nice breeze and a wonderful weather during camping trip, so pleasant. You might remember that moment, you know, for a few months later. You might not. You might remember that moment. But a bear chasing you, you're going to remember that for the rest of your life. <laughs> know what I mean? It's just, it's just natural. Negative events, the threat will actually stick to our minds much stronger. Furthermore, another factor in all of this 
is that our minds are notoriously bad at taking an account of our wrongs, you know, of our side of the equation. Um, it's so interesting. This man's initial reaction to the king or to the master is this. Be patient with me and I will pay back everything. Really? $10 billion? Be patient with you? I'm going to pay, I'll pay you back. Really? What in the world? As a servant? You know? Almost doesn't seem to understand the amount. And that's the point that Jesus is trying to make with this hyperbole. Right? You know, it's like probably, I can kind of imagine that. Like I was thinking about like $10 billion. Okay, ten, after 100 talents, like you probably lost count, you know. 100 million versus, versus 10 billion, they're sort of in the same category. You know, it's a lot of money. <laughs> it's, just, it's just kind of a lot. You know, you know both, be, both are just categorized as I have a big debt. But I have no, you have no idea how big. You know, when it comes to what others owe him, it seems like his accounting is very exact when it comes to what he owes. It's kind of vague, right? So this is what really happens to us. And just recently, uh, you know, Pastor Ed was giving this um, Bible study and message to um, the team, and he kind of showed us this, this table, and I'm going to use it here. It says, you know, what we undercount and what we overcount. So, so on the left side is what we undercount. On the right side is what we overcount, Okay. What we undercount is good things others did for you. That's, you sort of undercount that. What sticks in our minds is bad things others did to you. I mean, this is, yeah, it, even, if, even if it's not in absolute number, in terms of the, even the emotional strength of that memory, it's the right side that we're going to remember that's going to stick to our minds. And moreover, that's another, here's, an, here's another one. Good things that you did not do, the sin of omission, we undercount that. In fact, I think that's actually non-existent. Like, we, like, how do you even think about that in your mind? Like, good things that we didn't do. But good things that you did, it, you, under, you remember that. Or maybe even good things that other people didn't do, you sort of remember that. Like, oh, they should have said, they should have done this. It was my birthday. Like, should have, like, you do remember that. Right? More. So, Man, the, the, this thing, right? So good things that you did not do. I think that, that sin, the Bible calls it sin of omission. It doesn't even register. You know, last, time, last 10 times that you were at someone's house eating their food, you know, you wanted cereal, you took cereal, you put it in the bowl, you opened the refrigerator, oh, no milk. But then you already like, ate some dry cereal with the spoon, so you have, like, you know, spit all over it, so you're like, ah, oh, is there milk? Oh, sorry, there's no more, ah, it's okay, it's good, cool. it's cool. yeah, it's all right, I'll just eat this dry cereal, that's all right, yeah, it's cool, thanks, you eat it, okay, and then uh, you're going to go over to that person's house again, and a couple hours before you went to Safeway, you got yourself milk, just for yourself, dropped it off at home before going over. Like, does that even register as like, oh, I didn't do that. I didn't, like, I, did, I, I don't buy groceries for the person that's constantly feeding me. Like, like, that doesn't even register in our minds, right? It's really hard to register that. Look at this table. You know, which side has more stuff in it for you? Like, in your memory, 
or which side has more emotional impact. Yeah, so, wow, it's like, it's, it's largely on the right side, I think. I mean, maybe some of you, it's the left side. That's great. You're, you must be a very grateful and thankful person and probably very happy, you know? So, our minds are broken, you know? I think we need, we need at least to have self-knowledge about that. I think that's the starting, starting point, to know that, oh, our minds are sort of broken in that way, you know? So as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about this, whole, this word trauma, right? It's a, trauma is an emotional shock due to a negative event that's, that actually sticks with you or stays with you, right? That's trauma. So I was like, okay, that's, that, that makes sense. I know, I know certain traumatic events that cause these kind of things and things like that. So I thought, what's the antonym for trauma? So think about it. What's the opposite? Like, what's the good, something so good that shocks you and stays with you for a long time. What's the word for that? I'm like, I can't think, what? I don't know if there's a word. There's not even a word in the vocabulary for this. So I, I, I looked it up on thesaurus, like opposite antonym of trauma, and it says pleasant. I'm like, mm, really? That's it? <laughs> pleasant? No, right? So J.R.R. Tolkien um, actually made up a term because he was kind of considered, he, he, he considered this kind of problematic, I guess, right? So he made up a term called eucatastrophe. It's like, it's a, it's a catastrophic event. It's a, it's a catastrophe, but then it's a you as in good. It's so good. It is so good that it's a eucatastrophic event. <laughs> and it sticks with you. You can never get over it. And the cross, the cross is that. That's what the forgiveness of the 10,000 talents should have been. It, would have been. it should have been a new catastrophic event. But it didn't. He almost, it's almost amnesia. He just kind of forgot. He just sort of out of frame. Right? And that's the cross of Jesus should be, what Jesus Christ, the cross of Jesus should be for us. You know? So, you know, a little caveat here, though. You know, like, when, it, when it comes to grievances to forgive, I mean, there's a wide range, right? Um, it ranges from something truly violent and evil, you know, like murder of a family member, child molestation, adultery, to s- subtler things, you know, slights to ego, you know, like situations where, like, you're hanging out and joking around, and suddenly the joking around suddenly becomes personal and crosses a line, and you're like, what the, you know? To, to say saying something insensitive, you know, saying hi in a really short, terse way, and like, why is, he like, why is she saying it that way? Or texting, you know, texted your, your friend or your roommate, or, you know, hey, I had a hard day, had a hard day today, coming home now. And then they text back, K. I didn't know, okay. Until just two years ago, I, didn't, I thought, I've been doing K, because I have a dumb phone, and uh, <laughs> less... Things to press, the better. So it's like, okay, you know? I didn't put the period, though, because I heard that that's, like, really bad. I'm like, what are these rules, man? Like, so I was like, okay. You know? So, yeah, like, it ranged. There's a wide range. Like, tr- something that's truly hurtful to slights and meanness and things like that. Those kinds of, like, interrelational um, tensions. So there is a wide range. And... and and how this call by Jesus to forgive, to let go of the grievances, 
How that applies to extreme ranges of the extreme ends of that range, um, it's difficult. You know, it's difficult to understand that, or or even kind of try to try to figure it out. Like, should a murderer then be forgiven and not go to jail? Well, no. Actually, the the application is difficult and nuanced. Um, when we try to apply it to social or legal issues, I think the application is difficult. But we're reminded that Jesus said this in the, said this parable in response to Peter's question, which was, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? You know, it seems to be interpersonal forgiveness, relational wrongs. So while it's unclear and difficult to know how this applies to legal issues, what is clear is that in our relationships, maybe even starting from the relationship within the church, because, you know, when he says brother, that actually back then, Peter, it probably meant fellow Jew. You know, and maybe expanding that. So, so starting from the interrelationships within the church, the, some, a brother, a sister, sin against me, and I forgive him. And maybe encompassing, expanding to encompass family members. You know, that that sister, my younger sister, who always who was always better and smarter, and made me made me feel inferior to that parent who broke our family, and things like that. The message of Jesus is that we are to forgive one another. You know, back then, the rabbis taught that you should forgive your brother three times, up to three times. So Peter probably thought, I'm going to impress Jesus. You know, he goes, seven times? You know, by the way, you can never, like, impressing, trying to impress Jesus usually goes, goes bad. So he goes, seven times, you know, Jesus? How about that, huh? And Jesus says, not seven times, 77 times. You're like, what the what? You know, so commentators note, you know, possibly this, what Jesus is saying is actually a, it seems like a contrast to Genesis, the Lamech's boast in Genesis where he says, if Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. You know, so while this is the path of the world, like, you know, if you wrong me, I am going to so get you. Jesus says, you wrong me, I'll forgive you again and again and again. Go overboard in forgiveness because of this you catastrophe, you know? <laughs> That's a sign of maturity to, to be able to zoom out and say, okay, what, what is my life? What have I been given in my life? What has, gone, what has God done to me and done for me? What has he given me? You know, it, I was talking to Sarah yesterday about this message and trying to, like, get some stories from her. And I, I speak this, I say this with her permission, by the way. Sarah, in her teen year, teenage years, um, saw her dad as this really, really mean person. It's like, she's, he's so mean, and it's just, I really didn't like him because he's so, so mean. And um, I, actually, I know, I met him. She, Sarah said that he's changed a bit since then, but he's like the nicest grandpa ever. He is like the, the, the kindest. He goes, ho, oh, oh. ho, like, ho. He even talks like Santa Claus. <laughs> you are wonderful, wonderful, you know? So he's like the nicest dad ever. And she kind of now she knows, like, yeah, he was, <laughs> you know? But in her teenage years, as she reflects back on her teenage years, she was feeling it into, down to her bones, how wrong 
he was, how wrong her dad was. He's so mean. He's so hot-tempered toward me. Hard, I had a hard time forgiving him. The idea of trying to forgive him was like anathema to me. And I said, okay, how many times did he lose his temper toward you? I asked her. And she's like, I felt like in teenage years, I felt like constantly, but that's my teenage years talking. Actually, in reality, I think he lost his temper three times. <laughs> you know, now as an adult, now as an adult, even before she became a mom, actually, um, she recognized that was really, really narrow and stupid. You know, that the, even the idea, I need to forgive my dad, seems ridiculous to her. And all that is to say, okay, all that to say, I think we see this dynamic, right? The amount of hatred doesn't seem to match with the wrong. Oftentimes, I mean, sometimes, yeah, when something truly traumatic happen to you, truly traumatic, child molestation. You know, I know that some people have that past that's truly traumatic. Then, okay, the drama of trying to forgive that person will be kind of strong, right? Will be pretty high. But some of us, the size of the drama in talking about that wrong or the drama of trying to forgive that person doesn't seem to match with the wrong, which seems, which seems a little bit more subtle. It's sort of like choking, right? It's like the choking. Like, why, why this overboard reaction? Like, wow, like he gets violent. <laughs> you know, maybe, I mean, some people say, or maybe it has something to do with his own shame, that that person's own sense of shame is actually true to life, you know, in that sense. That is, in, in our own shame at being received mercy, then we actually become even more exacting toward others sometimes because if we don't like the fact that we have to, be, we have to receive mercy. But I think it's also a testament to our ability, you know, to do this, right? We, we do this all the time. So, so this is that, that person, you know? And we just focus in on this. So the question is, the question is, is it okay for Christians to be bitter and hold grudges? I mean, you know, wrong is a wrong is a wrong, right? It doesn't matter if that person apologized. I just can't move on. Is it, is it okay for Christians to feel that way? Think about that. Because that sentiment, I can't move, like just, I'm just filled with not rage. I don't want to choke that person anymore, but really that person is out, like I cancel that person in my mind. Is it okay? You know? Here's Jesus' answer. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant. He said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Basically, the king says, oh, okay, really? Like, you, so you, you want to hold a grudge until, like, what, what, this, this idea that when we, when we hold somebody's, when we hold a grudge against somebody and kind of imprison them in, in our hearts pretty much, you know, that's what we do, right? What are we doing? Like, when do they go free? Because you're not saying that person's staying there forever. Like you, there's a certain like, criteria that we put until that person somehow pays the debt, right? Somehow that person feels enough pain to equate the wrong. So we want payment. So Jesus' response through this master is this. Okay, so you want 
to play, you want to live in that world where it's fair. Okay, let's, let's do that. I'll do that then. You want that? I'll start taking an account of you. I'll be fair with you. You know, this final words of this parable, um, it's, it's scary and disturbing. Like God will not have mercy on you. Like so then if you have a hard time forgiving somebody, you will lose your salvation. You know, I don't know. I don't know how to like interpret that. And maybe I guess, I guess we can kind of get into the weeds of trying to understand that subtlety. But here's something that is for sure though. Um, <clears throat> Jesus meant for us to be disturbed by this ending, right? If you find that you can't forgive somebody, you, you find that you're holding a grudge, Jesus wants you to be very disturbed. I think that much is clear. He's saying at least that much, right? You know, maybe you don't see what God has done for you, the 10,000 talents that he has forgiven you. Why not? Why, why can't you see this? Maybe, maybe you forgot that God has forgiven you of this great debt, or maybe you never understood the gospel. It's disturbing. You know, all these warnings are here to tell us, no, it is not okay for Christians to hold grudges. 77 times, forgive. You know, it, it, it at least communicates that much. So, you know, the thing is that as we live life, we're sinners, right? And so it means that as we try to love one another, relate to one another, we'll be hurting each other, we'll get messy. Um, we can't avoid that. If we can't avoid the messiness if we're trying to actually love one another and obey his commands to be, the, I mean, basically the greatest commandment, right? Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. It can't, and we can't avoid getting messy and hurting each other if we're trying to be the body of Christ. So we're going to need to grow out of our immature ways and actually develop a generous heart. And through this parable, Jesus tells us, Jesus tells us you got to zoom out. Consider the master's mercy. I mean, I, I really love this thing part where this, he, master looks at this ridiculous guy who says, I'll pay you back. I'll pay you back. And then instead of saying, oh, really? You have no idea what you owe me, do you? Okay, why don't you try it? Like, that's what I, I like, in my spiteful self, I, I would have said that in a very sarcastic way. Like, oh, pay me back? You have no idea, you know? But instead, the master says, took pity. Took pity on him and canceled the debt. This world... I think really needs to hear this gospel more than ever, you know, with our modern culture. Um, I think it's turned into a modern Phariseeism. It's the new Pharisee, <laughs> the self-righteous culture. Not to simply excuse the wrong, okay? Not to excuse the wrong. Not to say, oh, you know what, that, that's fine, or to, to justify it or to condone it but to call it what it is, but to recognize the common humanity of our sinfulness and say, man, we're messed up, aren't we? That was messed up. And this part is messed up too. And I'm, there's a part of me that's also messed up. I mean, we dare not say that right now, right? Like if we admit to any kind of un-PC, whatever thing that is, is, is considered immoral, like, if we admit to any part of ourselves being sinful in that way, oh my gosh, 
we're so afraid. It's a modern Phariseeism. And, um, you know, this self-righteous cancel culture all the way to our interpersonal grudges that we've been taught to hold, you know. I think our, the, our world really needs the gospel because I think our world really, yeah, it's like a picture of each person having a chokehold on everyone else. And there's no end to that. <laughs> there's really no end to that. You owe me. Like, you owe me. You know, so that, that we see the, the back and forth that's happening, right? The parties, the political parties fighting each other and each party feeling so wronged at each other. Friends, spouses, back and forth, back and forth. And the answer to that is really Jesus' cross. The unfairness of the cross. You know, we really wrong Jesus with our groundless rejection. But Jesus has pity. He has pity. Took pity on us and does not strike back. He doesn't strike back in the cross. He absorbs the wrong. And he says, I forgive you. So let's zoom out. You know, let's see what kind of you catastrophic thing that has happened to you. Like the wonderfully good thing that has happened to you. And when we realize that, I think we can begin to let go of the people in our lives that we have locked up in our hearts, the people that we demand payment from, you know, from the small annoyances even to the big wrongs done against you. Um, And let the size, our sense of the size or the bigness of that wrong, I think it's really important for us to to right-size that in light of what Jesus says in this parable here, right? I know that it can be hard sometimes. Even if you recognize that it's petty, like especially if it's a really a, 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 a horrendous evil that you have a hard time forgiving in your, that has happened in your life. But even if you recognize it's not, on the scale of horrible things that could happen to hum, that human beings could do to another, this isn't, really at the edge there. It's not, it's, it's wrong, but it's sort of, like, even if you recognize that it's sort of petty, we have a hard time forgiving. Sometimes, you know, many times. So I know that it can be hard, but it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to happen right away. But as we open our eyes to this great debt that we've been forgiven of, I hope that we can have some perspective, you know, hope that develop and develop that mature heart of generosity.
Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much, Lord. Um, thank you for your gospel message. Thank you, Lord, for this you catastrophic thing that has happened to us where you have forgiven us of a debt that is unfathomable. Lord, help us to really consider our own sins, consider the size of our own debt towards you, and thereby right-size everything that we feel uh, vengeful toward, right-size the, 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 the sense of wrongness that we might feel, the sense of bitterness that we might feel. Oh, Lord God, I just... See that the, we just see that the gospel is indeed what the world truly, really needs right now, that gospel of grace and truth, the truth of our own sinfulness, the truth of our own common humanity, and the common sinfulness and brokenness that we all share. And yet, there is that grace and forgiveness while acknowledging the wrongness and the sinfulness of all of us. Just pray, O oh Lord, that you would really deepen us in the gospel, help us to be a church, be a people that would really shine out and sound out a new kind of message and a new kind of song that this world desperately needs to hear. Thank you so much for giving us this time. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.